Hi, this is episode 16 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part two of chapter three of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. To begin with, she said, I would rather you did not use that loudspeaker. If you would just call the numbers loudly and distinctly in your normal voice as I am speaking now, it will be quite sufficient. The bald man's mouth was slightly ajar now. The next thing is, she resumed, that I would like you, please, to refrain from adding these peculiar clickety-clacks and doctor's orders to the numbers you call. We were not taught our numbers like this when I was at school. Also, I am only a learner, and I am not familiar with them. I am perfectly familiar with the numbers up to a hundred, however, and if you would kindly call them in an undecorated form, I think I shall do very well. She paused. The caller looked as if he thought he was having a nightmare. He looked aghast and astounded at the same time, and when his mouth started to move, at first no sound came out. At last he managed very faintly. Is that all? I think so, said Grandma. Oh, there is one more small point. I am, as I have told you, a beginner. Until I have had a little more practice, I would appreciate it if you could call the numbers more slowly. I think you are going too fast. Possibly others here feel the same. She looked inquiringly about her and met with total non-confirmation. The regulars gaped back at her with blank, stunned faces. Perhaps those who do feel the same would like to raise their right hands, she suggested. No one moved. Jack noticed that two large men in uniforms had appeared at either end of the row where they were sitting. They would, he realized with horror, bundle Grandma out at a nod from the collar. Over my dead body, he thought, and tried not to imagine the details. On the rostrum there were signs that the caller was beginning to collect himself. I must apologize for this interruption, ladies and gentlemen, he said into the microphone. Oh, and do accept my own apologies, too, chipped Grin Grandma. I think I have said all that I wanted to say. Thank you. She sat down. She looked almost as if she expected a round of applause. She was the only person in the whole hall who looked pleased with herself. The regulars were beginning to murmur again. "'If we're all ready, then,' said the caller, "'we'll start the next game. "'Eyes down for the lucky winner of another sensational prize. "'And the first number, wait for it, all the fives, fifty-five. "'Jack numbly crossed this off his own card "'and waited for the inevitable. "'The caller, he realized, was going to carry on "'as if the interruption had never occurred.' He was going to pretend Grandma had never spoken, and Jack knew that when Grandma was anywhere, people knew she was. She was not ignorable. To a point, he could sympathize with the man. He was probably not, he reflected, very bright. He certainly had not been able to think of a single word to say in reply to Grandma. But then, if he spent every day of his life calling out numbers, perhaps he was not very good with words any more. Perhaps he had lost his conversation. What Grandma did next was the worst thing she could possibly have done. Her big mistake <clears throat> was not realizing that every other single person in that hall took this game at least as seriously as she herself. They were all obviously better losers. They could not be worse. But they were all playing to win. Tension builds up very high in a bingo hall, 
even after the first few numbers have been called. If only Grandma had sat and sulked till the game was over, and then stood up and said her piece, the worst that could then have happened was that she would have been asked to leave. She might even have got her money back at the door. As it was, she came very near getting lynched. She, Mrs. Fosdyke, and Jack could all have got lynched. She stood up, right in the middle of a call of, lucky for some, thirteen, and shouted, STOP! at the top of her considerable voice. <clears throat> Sit down and shut up. These and other less politely phrased requests and exclamations came from all parts of the hall. Several of the players themselves stood up and waved their arms while making their protests, and thus set other people off doing the same thing, and within thirty seconds flat everyone in there had, with the exception of the halt and the lame, got on his or her feet yelling. The caller was yelling, too, into his microphone, but yelling must have affected its vibrations, because you couldn't hear the words at all. Only a kind of booming. It was probably as well. From then on, everything happened more or less as Mr. Bagthorpe had predicted it would. A riot broke out. The interesting thing was, and Jack could not help noticing this at the time, that Although people started hurling abuse and even hitting one another, nobody did this to Grandma herself. Standing there with her umbrella aloft in the manner of the Statue of Liberty, she seemed in some curious way to be above it all, even though it was she who had set the whole thing off. Somebody obviously panicked and rang the police, and they arrived quickly, about ten of them, and gradually quieted people down. The bald-headed caller was still booming into his microphone and making gestures with his hands as if tearing at the hair he had once had. When everyone else had sat down quietly under the watchful eyes of the police, he sounded suddenly very silly, booming like that, and stopped abruptly. In the ensuing silence, the people on Grandma's row stood up quite politely and let the trio pass to the gangway, and they were escorted out of the hall by two policemen. In the foyer, one of them, a sergeant, took out a notebook. "'Now, then,' he said, "'what's it all about?' "'It wasn't Grandma's fault,' said Jack, instantly. <clears throat> "'Oh, I don't know, officer, I really don't know.' Mrs. Fosdyke, incredibly, was close to tears. "'I shouldn't never have brought her.' "'I think perhaps we'd better go along to the station,' said the sergeant. He gave certain orders to the constable, who went back into the hall. Grandma, Mrs. Fosdyke, and Jack walked in silence to the swing doors. Several police cars were standing out there, one with its blue light still flashing. Grandma had gone very quiet and dignified. Mrs. Fosdyke kept sniffing all the way to the station. Jack was torn between enjoyment of being in the novel situation of riding as an apprehended criminal in a police car and a sinking feeling that he had let Uncle Parker and everybody else down. At the station, Grandma kept up her silent dignity for a while, but after a cup of tea, seemed to thaw, and consented to give her version of what had occurred. She stood up. I solemnly swear that all I shall say will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, she began. Shouldn't I have a Bible to hold while I say that? Oh, there's no call for that at all, madam, the sergeant told her. Not at this stage. I think I have seen enough television films about policemen and criminals, 
Grandma told him, to know something of procedure. I suppose I should not be surprised that the Bible is no longer required. It is yet another sign of the times. In the end, she gave a very good account, Jack thought. And when she told what she had said to the bingo man, and the requests she had made, they all sounded really very reasonable, and nothing like riot-raising speeches. Jack could tell from the policemen's faces that they were thinking this, too. First time you've played, then, was it, Mrs. Bagthorpe? asked one of them. I can see how it must have been confusing. Precisely, she nodded. I simply thought that some consideration should be shown to a beginner, and I thought that young man very rude indeed when he just carried on as if I had never spoken. All in all, the interview went very well. At the end of the day, it was clear that the only word Grandma had spoken which could be even loosely interpreted as riot-raising and provocative was the single word, STOP, and even Jack could see that this would not stand up very well in court. In the end, Grandma was told that no charges would be preferred, though she was advised to avoid bingo halls in future. It appeared that two witnesses had also been interviewed, and their version of what happened had corresponded almost exactly with her own, except that they had added that Grandma was, in their view, mad. The whole thing was just beginning to be rather enjoyable when the police asked whom they might telephone to take the trio home. <clears throat> Grandma gave their number, and Jack shut his eyes and prayed that Mr. Bagthorpe would not answer the phone. He did. Jack could hear, even from where he was sitting, the snapped out, Well, which was the way his father always let people know he was being interrupted doing something important on one of his scripts. In this particular instance, as it happened, he had been on the verge of a slogan that was going to win him a new car and a thousand pounds to spend on petrol. From what the police said after the telephone call, Jack gathered that Mr. Bagthorpe had come much nearer being prosecuted than Grandma ever had. He created a good deal of sympathy for Grandma, and she was further plied with cups of tea. The police thought they could see why she was driven out to play bingo at nights. With the Bagthorpes, when things were bad, they inevitably tended to go to worse. The long day was not yet over. When Mr. Bagthorpe arrived, he was in a very bad temper. He immediately set in on the police for what he called the malicious persecution of an innocent and elderly lady, which might have been interpreted as a gallant gesture, but was not. Neither the police, who had been very kind indeed, nor Grandma, who did not like being described as elderly, thanked him for it. He would, as it turned out, have been wiser to play the scene in a much lower key. It did not escape the attention of a very junior constable that Mr. Bagthorpe's road fund license was a month out of date. For this he was duly booked. Grandma could have put in a word for him because she had gone down very well with the police, but she evidently did not choose to. During the silence that prevailed in the car on the way home, the only words spoken were spoken by Grandma herself, and had been carefully chosen for their ambiguity. Truth she observed in the darkness and silence, will speak out of stone walls. No one replied. And that is the end of Chapter 3 of Absolute Zero. Don't forget to visit me at my blog, www.kray.org, and say hi. See you next time.